Welcome, church. So glad to see you. If you are here sitting in this room, you have made the wise decision. If you're joining us online, you also. Of the many things you could have chosen on a rainy day, roll over and stay in bed, or maybe get up and have breakfast at home, or do a lot of different things. You chose to be here. Great thing is, God is here. He's here. He's ready to meet you. You pray that you are readying your heart to meet Him, your mind and your soul to meet Him here today. Let's go to the Word. Psalm 105, 1-5. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all the wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgment he pronounced. Let's pray. Father God, We all find ourselves at different places in life, Lord God, different places on our walk. Father, you know each one intimately and personally, Lord God. Nothing falls apart from your knowledge, Lord. I pray that you would touch each person here with your presence, with your love. May they feel your comfort and your warmth, Lord God. May they hear your word as it's spoken. Bless every part of this service, Lord God. May we lift our voices in praise to you and honoring you for who you are. Again, may your word bless us. May it not just stay there in our hearts and in our heads. May we take it out and spread it amongst those we love. I pray for every part of this service in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. If you would stand with me as we recite our creed, the things we believe, the things we are, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I am a Christian. Amen. Let's worship. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Faith Discovery Church. We're so glad that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your time this morning with us. Typically, we start our service by standing and singing. The Bible teaches us that God inhabits or he, hang, he dwells in the praises of his people. So we, we sing as praise to invite God's presence into our midst and into our hearts. So we invite you to join us. Stand and sing with us as we sing. When darkness tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear. Doesn't stand a chance 
participate in that. But while we do that, if, uh, if you're here this morning and you would like prayer uh, for a need in your life, we, we, uh, we invite you to come forward and pray with our prayer team, with our leaders. And uh, we'll continue to worship. We'll continue to ask God's presence to develop this room. But we want to be mindful of the fact that we believe that prayer has an impact, that prayer changes things. The Bible tells us the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And so uh, if you're in need of prayer, whether it be financial or uh, emotional or relational or physical, we invite you to come down and we will pray with you this morning. And if you're just here and not coming down, we invite you to continue to with us as we worship. Let's, let's sing that as people come. How great the chasm
that song gets me excited. And you certainly do not want me up here worshiping with a microphone because that is a very scary sound. But singing that, like his buried body began to breathe. It just gets me so excited that we have a God who's our living hope. Not just some distant hope, but that he was raised from the dead, that he's alive. So I just want to sing it out here, which is a scary thing for me because nobody wants to hear my voice singing. But um, that certainly gets me so excited. We're just going to take a moment and pray and just lift up the name of God. God, I thank you so much that you hear our prayers. Lord God, that you listen to our pleas. Lord, that you comfort our hurts and that you see our tears and that nothing escapes you. You are not absent from us, but your eyes are on each of us. And your love for us is boundless and knows no limits. God, I pray that you would help us to grasp how high and how wide and how deep and how long your love is for us. God, be our rock of protection, like the psalmist says, a fortress where we will be safe, Lord. We find our protection in you alone, for, Lord, you are a faithful God. God, I pray for the hurting here, Lord, that your touch would be a healing balm. Lord, God, for those that have been hurt and are holding on to it, Lord, God, I pray that your peace would be a soothing comfort. And that your love would be an empowering confidence that we may live and love as children of the Most High God. Lord, I pray for those here that need Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, to fight for them. To take the load from their shoulders that they're carrying. I pray that we would rest in you as our fighter, as the commander God, I pray that you would give us discernment and wisdom, give us a revelation of you. Lord God, I pray for um, our families, Lord, for our marriages, that we would be a people that stand up and fight for our kids, for our marriages, for our families, for our church. Lord, please help us to forgive others who have wronged us or those we love or acted unkindly or unjustly towards us. Convict us, God, of our sins and bring us freedom from our addictions. I pray that you bring unity to this body, Lord, and today, here and in our homes, that your presence and your spirit would just be manifest in a rich way. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome this morning. Take a moment and greet somebody here today.
Well, good morning again, and welcome to all of those who are here this morning. For those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're joining us. If this is one of your first few weeks with us and you haven't um, filled out a connection card or you haven't been over to our information center, please do that today. Pastor Jerry will see you over there. We have a gift for you if this is one of your first weeks with us, and we would love to get to know you a little better. So please do that before you leave today. We have a few announcements. Today, um, we are back in the swing of things, so youth and Awana will be meeting at 4 Four o'clock, Awana here for kids in preschool through sixth grade and youth across the parking lot for kids in seventh through twelfth. And we hope that your family is a part of those ministries. It's a blessing for those of us who lead them. And we invite you um, to be here today at four o'clock. Also coming up is our membership class on September 30th. I know some of you have already signed up for that, um, but you can still do that. So if you're interested, if you've been part of our congregation for a little while and are interested about being a member of this local congregation, um, you can talk to Pastor Jason. You can talk to um, Pastor Jerry at the Information Center, but you can just also sign up online or sign up um, at the Information Center on the sheet and make the time to be there at breakfast, 8.30 to 11 on September 30th. Also coming up, we are doing, last year we did a work day here um, at the church, and this October we are doing a work day over at the Family Fellowship Center. There are some things in the basement that have been there for maybe a long time and maybe need to get pitched into a dumpster. (laughs) So it is dumpster pitching day on the 14th. Um, I know they are putting together a team of guys to cut out some sheetrock as well. Um, But if you are interested in that, you can go over to the information center after service um, and find out what you can do. But if you're just able to pick up some things, carry them up a flight of stairs and pitch them into the dumpster, uh, that's your day. So October 14th, um, we would love to have as many hands as possible on deck for that. Um, And finally, as we thank you for your giving, uh, I wanted to share a little bit about Awana with you. We started off our year strong. This year at Awana, we have five new families who have joined us, which is awesome, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Another thing that we started this year is that we have three young teen volunteers who have been through the Awana program and who want to be junior leaders. So this is a new thing. We have not done this before, um, and it was a blessing to talk with those kids last week, um, one of whom said, she said, it's so good to be at Awana because we learn the Bible in a way that we can understand. And she was talking about somewhere that she had been that they were using words that were complicated complicated and concepts that didn't make any sense to her. She said, when we were at Awana, um, when we opened our Bibles, when you taught us things, they were things that we could understand as kids. And so as a junior helper, she wants to be one of those people who help kids to also understand God's word. So what a wonderful thing. Um, We are excited about that. So thank you for making that happen. Thank you for allowing us to open our doors every Sunday to have the lights on and the air on or the heat on um, and to have people people here that we can welcome those families and train up those children. So we thank you for your faithful giving um, that make those things happen. Um, If you don't know, you can give through our app. You can give online. Um, There are giving boxes as well um, as you exit the sanctuary and on the welcome tables. Um, We are so grateful um, for the ways that you give that enable us to serve and to reach out. So on that note, let's stand together again as we continue to worship. We're going to sing one more chorus this morning, and uh, even as Laura invited you to stand, um, 
Some of these words, even if you're new, will be familiar to you. This is kind of a modern, t- somewhat modern take on an old song. But I encourage you to, to, to sing along. And as you do, um, contemplate the words. Uh, think about the freedom and the grace that God has given us.
God, as we, um, as we conclude our, the music portion of our service today, I, I pray that your grace would be a, a mindful to us and it would be something that we experience. God, I just get the sense that there are people who may be here in the room or are online who are experiencing things that are greater than they can figure out, greater than they can contemplate, whether it's hurts from the past that are hard to get over. Or just a need or something in their lives that they just don't have the solution to. Your word tells us that your grace is sufficient for us. And so, God, I pray that your grace would be bestowed, that it would be manifest in our lives in a way that we could tangibly experience and tell others about. And that you'd be honored by everything we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to Kids Church. And while they're doing that, I think we have a video you could check out. Well, good morning. How's everybody today? It's raining. Some of you are really happy about that. Some of you are like, it's really hard to have a good hair day on a bad rainy day. But uh, some some people love the rain. It's uh, it's a great day for farmers. And so uh, we appreciate God's blessings in whatever way, shape, or form it comes. Now, I have to be honest with you. They will tell, who knows who they are, but sometimes you start a sentence by talking about other people and they say they. They tell us that it's really a lazy thing for a speaker to talk about the weather because that means you're just trying too hard to to connect with your audience. So please don't be offended that I talked about the weather as I start. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and it is an honor that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. We have been in the middle of a series. um, Before I go on, if you're joining us online, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. You are part of our community too, and I encourage you in the chat to talk uh, and, and discuss kind of what I'm talking about uh, this morning. And I'm working on getting my notes up so that I stay on task because I'm already way off task and we don't need that to happen this morning. In fact, if you'll give me a second, we'll figure out why I'm not connected to the internet. (sighs) Deep breath. Um, We've been going through a series talking about the Apostle Paul, or or in this section of the Bible where this story is talked about, his name is Saul. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, the Apostle uh, Paul, or he's not yet an apostle, but he hasn't yet come to faith. Paul, Saul, we're going to use both those names there, so if you get confused, they both come back to the same individual. Has an experience on a road to Damascus with the risen Jesus. He's not a follower of Jesus at the time. And when this happens, if you're new with us, just giving you a little bit of contextual background. When this happens, the risen Jesus uh, appears to 
to Saul and asks him, why is he persecuting him? Saul is a a zealous Jew at the time. He will always remain to be a Jewish person, but he's a Jew and he's a Pharisee. He's devout in his desire to see Israel purified again so that it will become acceptable to God. and And really what will happen is Rome will leave them alone. And they'll have a king again, and they'll have their temple again. And when all of this happens, it will be good. And so Paul is doing his best to eradicate any impurities from Israel. And one of the things he considers an impurity is this new group of people who are worshiping this guy who had been crucified or killed, and they're they're claiming he rose again from the dead, and they're claiming that he is the Messiah. And Paul is a very learned uh, individual in Old Testament uh, scholarship, and he understands that it's impossible for this man to have been the Messiah, at least in his understanding of, of things. And so as he's traveling to Damascus, the next city on his journey, he's traveling there to try to uh, persecute, to, to stop these followers. At, this, at that time, they called it the way. The word in, in Greek is odor, O-D-O-R, it's English spelling. They were a follower of the way. It's also the word for road. So he's on a road trying to stop the people who are following the road. A little irony there. And when this happens, uh, the, the risen Jesus appears to him on the road. And there's very few instances in history where the where we have where the the scriptures tell us that it was actually the risen Jesus who appears. We have times where we see messenger. We have times where we see angel. We have times where we see a number of different things. But in this indication, it says the risen Jesus appeared to him on the road, and says to him, "Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And in the, the, the following discourse of that experience, and in the next few days of Paul's life. We see Paul discover some things about God, about Jesus, and about himself that he didn't know up until that point. And so that's what we're, just to give you a sense of background, that's what we're talking about this morning. And we're going to skip that passage in Acts because I already just described it all. Um, but uh, while, while this happens, uh, at the end of it, the, the, uh, Paul becomes blind. And his friends pick him up and they carry him into the city. Uh, and while he's, this is happening, God is also talking to a man in Damascus named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, I want you to go. I want you to get the man named Saul and I want you to pray for him. I'm going to heal him. And Ananias has heard about Paul or Saul. As I told you, I keep going back between these two. And he knows that this is a man who's persecuting, even participating in the killing of Christians. And so he he wants no part of going to that guy because that guy's dangerous. And so Ananias says to to God, "Uh, you you have the wrong idea here. That guy's dangerous. I don't want to go there. And God says to Ananias, the Lord, it says the Lord's messenger. It doesn't necessarily say Jesus, but it says the Lord's messenger said to Ananias, I have plans for that guy. That's a quote. That's a paraphrase. Jason paraphrase. He's going to be the person who introduces me to the Greek, uh, to the Rome, to all of Rome, to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to Israel. 
And so in that moment where God has this experience, where Jesus has this experience with Saul on the road, while he's on the road, while he's journeying into the city, God's already preparing for him on the other side of it. And so we've talked a little bit about the last couple of weeks. We've talked about how Paul discovered on that, on that road to Damascus, he discovered his purpose. And he discovered peace. And today I want to talk to you about the promises of God that Paul discovered when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul, as I told you, was a learned biblical scholar. He had studied under Gamaliel, which would have, we call, this is like the conference. It's the Harvard of, of rabbinical studies of his day. He's a smart man. He knows the scriptures. And we know that Paul, throughout his letters that he writes to all his churches, commonly references and quotes the Old Testament. This is the man who knew the scriptures. But sometimes, just because you know something, doesn't mean you know something. There's a, in the, uh, there was a man in the 20th century, his name was Richard Feynman. He was a learned, um, uh, come on Jason. He was a particle physicist. Yes, thank you. He was famous for his, his quantum physics and quantum mechanics. He was famous for his studies in that. But he was also really well known in learning. He was famous for the way he learned. He knew so many things. And one day he's in the middle of this interview, and you could actually see this on YouTube if you wanted to. I'm not sure why you would want to, but you can. He's in the middle of an interview, and they're walking through the woods. He's being interviewed about learning and how to learn and, all, and theories, those kinds of things. And he looks over, and he sees a bird. And the bird looks like that. And he says, um, he says, that, see that bird? That's a brown-throated thrush. This guy just happens across this bird, and he knows what kind of bird it is. And he says, it's a brown-throated thrush. In German, it's called the Hazenfugel. In Chinese, they call it Chengling. And then he says, and now you know a bunch of names for a bird, and you know nothing about it. He said, well, I learned as a young person that just because you know the name of something doesn't mean you know it. You can know something about people. You can know something about birds. You can know that uh, a, a thrush sings and it teaches its young to fly. And it flies so many miles during the summer uh, that it flies all the way around, around the country and, and somehow knows to find its way. Feynman's saying in the middle of that interview, just because you know the name of something, just because you know about something, doesn't mean you know something. On the road to Damascus, Paul knew a lot about God, but he didn't know him. And he discovers God, who God really is, and what all the things he knows mean on the road to Damascus. And suddenly, all the information he has takes a second place to the person he wants to know and become. In fact, he'd go on later in life to say, I consider all that other stuff rubbish. It's garbage. It was everything to me, and now it means nothing to me. Because the only thing I want to know is that man that I met on that road. And so this man, this, 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 this experience with Jesus changes him so dramatically that he becomes, instead of being a zealot to end the movement about Jesus, he becomes the prominent person in the movement of Jesus. 
We see in Paul's writings, we learn through his experience, his life, his writings and everything, that he becomes to realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus is sufficient for all of our needs. Paul writes about the sufficiency of Christ multiple times in multiple books. And so on the road to Damascus, Paul comes to the realization that Jesus is the culmination of all that God has promised to the world. But also, Paul has a conversation with Jesus that leads to a personal relationship. And it is the the context of that personal relationship that in the context of that relationship, Paul begins to engage Jesus and Jesus begins to engage Paul on a personal level. And because of all compassion, the incompatibility, uh, because of the, the income, why is that word really struggling with me? Because of all the work Jesus did, we too can engage him personally through the Holy Spirit. And during that conversation that Saul has in the days that followed, he reflects on his experience. And I can now confidently say that Paul has been the benefactor of some of God's promises. It's become evident to Paul and to us who study the passage that some of the the promises that he receives are personal. Some of them are individualistic. Some of them pertain to him, but others are universal. They're they're corporate. They, They contain all of us, and they're things that all of us can grab hope on. Some of the things that he hears are promises for him. Some of the fulfillment of God's promises to all of Israel. And some carry the promise of hope for the future for all of us. It's quite an engagement that he has with Jesus. So let's unpack these promises that Paul implicitly hears or or comes to understand as a result of his interaction with the risen Jesus on that road. First, Paul receives the promise of healing. He goes, the result of his engagement, he's blind. And God, we read on that God tells Ananias, go pray for him. I'm going to heal him. This is, this individual promise to Paul is situational. It, it comes to him by, to him from Jesus by way of Ananias. I can't, I've, we've, we've imagined over the last couple of weeks must, what, what it must have been like for a number of people in, the, in this story, in this narrative. But what must it have been like for Ananias and Paul to be sitting in whatever room they were sitting in, in that place, whatever they were, after he prays for him and, and scales fall from Paul's eyes and he can see again and he starts to tell Paul what God told him. And they engage and they share these experiences. That ought to be a fly on the wall of that room. And here, these two men who have met with God and they tell their stories. And Paul learns this promise that he'll be healed. The text doesn't tell us that if Paul knew that Jesus would heal him. But I have to imagine he had to think it was possible. But this promise of healing for Paul is not an all-encompassing. There it is. I said the word right. It's not an all-encompassing thing. It's not a promise of healing for the rest of his life. We know from Paul's writings that he would deal with things he was unhappy about. He had pains. He had situations. He didn't receive. When God healed his eyes, it didn't mean he'd never have another health issue the rest of his life. 
And so he receives this promise of healing, and it is hopeful, but it's not forever. Sometimes God does things in our lives, and it encourages us. It it works for a time, but it doesn't mean you're never going to have another issue the rest of your life. Paul learns about the power of Jesus in his personal life, in his personal experience, in his personal body there, but it's not forever. The book of, uh, the book of Isaiah prophecies about the healing power of the Messiah being unleashed through his wounds. We've heard, some of you have heard the saying, by his stripes we are healed. Paul would have understood that, and when he sees the Messiah, when he meets the Messiah, That has to come to his mind. That's the person we were talking about all those years ago. My whole life I've studied that passage. And now I meet him. And now I have this iniquity. I have this, I can't see. But, But I know that by his stripes we are healed. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's for me. God heals Saul, Paul. And he sees again. We're going to talk in just a few minutes. What do you do when you have an infirmary and you haven't experienced healing? Some of, for some of you, it brings up painful emotions. You've dealt with physical things. You've asked for years to be healed of, and it hasn't happened yet. Some of you have pleaded with God to heal a family member, only to see that not happen. And for those of you with those painful experiences, when you have them, oftentimes questions about God and your faith arise. God, do you really love me? Is there something wrong with me? Did I somehow disqualify myself from your power being unleashed? No. No. Through the sovereignty of God, it doesn't always go the way we want it. But we have hope of an eternal promise of healing. It doesn't always happen in the moment. I don't know why I'd love to. How easy would it be for me to get up here and pray? And preach. Listen, if you want to experience healing for any sickness you have, I'll just pray for you and you'll be healed. It's just an equation. One plus one equals two. It's not the way it works. But Paul realizes this connection between Jesus and the Messiah of the Old Testament. And he experiences a healing. Paul receives the promise of provision and protection and a plan when he meets Jesus. Paul, Jesus tells Paul to go into the city and wait for instructions. We know that Jesus gave those instructions to Ananias. Even before Paul arrives in the city, <coughs> excuse me, even before Paul arrives in the city, Jesus is planning his arrival, his provision, his protection, and the plan for his life is already taken care of. Jesus' plan for Paul was unique. It was special, but it was, but it was not that Paul was more important to God than any one of us are. God's plan for Paul is unveiled to Ananias where he says, he's going to be the one to introduce me to the Gentile world. That's That's a lot of weight to carry for somebody. But that doesn't mean that Jesus' plan for you is any less significant or any less important to him because all of us as image bearers, 
We're created for a purpose, and that purpose is to unveil his image into the world. God didn't love Paul any more than he loved you. He loves us all. He just loves us. And for you, in his plan, he has a plan, a promise of provision, a promise of protection, and a promise of a plan. Some of us have been told that we were a mistake. Some of us have been told that we weren't planned. Some of us have been told there's no hope for us. The words of men fail to understand the all-succumbing power of our God. You are not a mistake. You were planned from the beginning, and you have a purpose, and God wants you to walk in his way into what he has planned for you. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Paul. But you're not alone, and you're, and you're not abandoned. We can go to the next one. Because my notes are being funny. Uh, here at FD, before I go to the next one, here at FTC, I, want, I just want to make a little pitch. We believe that every person has a role here. There's an opportunity for you to serve in some capacity at our church. Every person has a role. Ultimately, that role should lead to connection. When you serve here, when you, when you use your abilities in worship at our church, the goal is not that you do a task, but it's that you build community. You may accomplish a task together. We're going to accomplish a lot on October 14th. But nobody, no one person, none of them, none of you, none of us, none of me, none of them, I think I clarified that, are more important than that building. That building is secondary to all of us. But that day, the more of us that are there, the more fun we'll have. The work won't be fun. But doing the work together will be fun. Every person has a role. In God's kingdom, each of us have been created to fulfill a purpose. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and saying, I, I don't, I'm not even sure I believe that. I don't know what, what my purpose is. I feel lost. I'm not sure what I'm meant to do. If that's you, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who feel that way. But you're not abandoned. And the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you and lead you and guide you into a place where you fulfill what God created you to be. Third, Paul realized that Jesus offered promise to Israel. He would go on later in life to write in his second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 1, starting at verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes or no. But in him it has been made, uh, it has always been yes. For no matter how many God, God, how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us, uh, both us and you, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set a seal of ownership on us and has put a spirit in us, as a, uh, in our hearts, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it. That it was 
in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Corinth. Now that we, not that we lorded over you or your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. There's a ton of stuff going on in this letter. Corinth, Paul has a a love-love relationship with this city. Love, love. You know, sometimes you love someone and you just want to like, Paul has a relationship with Corinth. This is, we call this 2 Corinthians. Most scholars will tell us this is at least the fourth letter he sent there. Because they're a fun people. They drive him nuts. And here in the introductory of the second letter, which is really the third, uh, the, probably the third letter, he says, in Christ, all of the promises of God are yes. Not yes and no. Not you get them and you don't. Not if you earn it or if you don't. All of the promises of God are yes in Christ. When he says that, he's talking about a history's worth of God's promises that we find in what we call the Old Testament. Every good and perfect thing we've ever dreamed about is found in Jesus. Israel's gone through a rough stretch. Israel, if you remember, and I've talked about this some, they built their national, and we've been talking about this a little bit on Wednesday nights too. Wednesday Bible study, I encourage you to come. It's really good and thought-provoking. But we've been talking about, we've been reminded of this a little bit on Wednesday nights too. Israel built their, their national identity on three things. The land, the land of Israel, it had been promised to them. They had been in Egypt for hundreds of years, but they leave Egypt. We all know the story of Moses. He leads them to the promise. And under Joshua, they enter into the promised land. That's a part of, that's a part of who they are. They feel special because they have been promised and given land. The second thing is they feel special because they have the law. We spent a lot of time on this, the law this past summer. They have this experience that God has given them instructions on how to be his representative in the world. And so they're, they are the ones who have the law. And then they have the temple, which is the, the actual manifest presence of God. Everything to Israel is built about this. And over the course of history, they lose it. They lose the land. People come and invade them. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Persians, now the Romans, the Egyptians. They've had empires lord over them, and their land that they had been promised is gone. And when it goes, part of their identity goes too. And then the law goes. Now they have scrolls. They don't have the Ark of the Covenant anymore. They don't know where it is. They don't have the original Ten Commandments. They don't know where it is. And so part of their identity, their pride uh, uh, with that is gone. And then the temple gets destroyed. And so over the course of history, the things that Israel took so much pride in have all been stripped away. 
And Paul learns on the, on the road to Damascus that it's not about land or law or a temple, but that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things. Jesus is the land, the law, the temple. He's all of it. His presence, his power, his anointing, and his love conquers and is bigger than all those other things. And you stop trying to find physical possession of things, and you realize there is a spiritual covetedness that is only fulfilled through Jesus. And so Jesus, they had been promised land, law, temple, and and, and they have all these prophecies, and they think that's going to happen again. That's what Paul's chasing early in his life. And then all of a sudden he meets Jesus, and he realizes, I was chasing the wrong thing. I was talking about what they want. Well, this is better. And so Paul realizes that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel. That's a big thing for, for <laughs> the history of Israel. And I'm not talking about the country that we know now. Fourth, Paul realized that Jesus offered that same uh, offered promises to humanity. In Romans chapter 11, Paul will, and I, we're not going to read this because we don't have time. But Paul is presenting this very intricate analogy about about. Uh, how Jews and Gentiles can coexist in God's kingdom. And he uses the, he uses this, uh, a tree to define the analysis or to define the analogy. And he talks about how Gentiles are grafted in to the tree of Israel, for, for lack of a better phrase. And for, if you're anything like me, for most of my life, that was meant nothing. It's part of the Bible, so it's important. I don't understand it at all. And then I learned about what, how, how scientists will graft different trees on, into a tree of a different type. And how this one type of tree can sustain this type of tree if, when the branches are attached and they're tied together. And all of a sudden this tree can hold, uh, like an oak tree can hold uh, a maple tree. I don't know if those are the two that they typically do, because I'm not a scientist. And so Paul is talking about how all of the promises that were good for Israel are now good to all of us because we're grafted into the hope that comes through God. So everything God wanted to bestow to Israel... He now is saying, this is not just for Israel. This is for everyone, and you're eligible, and you're will- you can receive it. And God wants to do this in you and among you. And that's a mind-blowing thing. See, so Paul knew that God had promised Paul knew what God had promised to Abraham. That his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And that God would bless his family. And that God would bless the world through his family. He knew the promises of Moses. He knew 
what God had promised to Moses at Sinai and as they approached Sinai and at the, bur- the idea of, uh, at the place of the burning bush. And he knew the promises that God had made to David, that his descendants would rule forever. And they had an idea of what that meant. And then Paul realizes, I know those promises. Now I know those promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. Jesus will reign forever. So the Davidic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic covenants are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And that means so much to a a person like Paul who, who treasures these things that he has to change his life because of it. As I said, Jesus, Paul realized that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises to the forefathers. God's promises to us are part of God's grand design for creation. The work of Jesus avails eternity to us. And it avails salvation to us. We sung this morning, For God So Loved the World. The essence of that song is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Shall not but have. The work of Jesus avails eternal life to us. But the work of Jesus is not just so that we can have eternal life. God, through Jesus, is restoring all of creation to its beginning, beautiful, perfect ways. Now, why is it taking so long? It's a good question. His plays are not mine. But the work of Jesus is restoring creation to perfection. And God is using us imperfect us to be part of unveiling that to the world. And so the reason you have a purpose, you have a plan, you have provision, you have protection. The reason you have those things is because God is using each of us and all of us collectively together to restore his creation and to shine his image and his light into a lost world. All of God's promises are are, to us are part of his grand design. He promises us for, he wants us to have good things. God wants us to have good things. But God wants us to have good things for his purposes, not for mine. When I was a kid, I thought, God gives you the desires of your heart, so I want a bigger TV. God, I must not have wanted that bad enough. No, God gives us new desires in our heart so that we'll be shaped into his image into a lost world. So a couple takeaways this morning. What is Jesus, from Paul's experience, what can we know that Jesus offers to us? Jesus offers first and foremost, Jesus' promise to each of us and to us collectively is his presence. You are not alone. And there's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love that's in Christ Jesus. And so no matter where you go, unless you purposefully choose God, I don't want you with me. God's with you. 
The first thing Jesus offers us is his presence. And let me tell you, it may not always feel like enough, but it's always enough. Whatever you go through, Jesus is with you. He knows you. He knows what it is to, for you to go through those things. He's not surprised by your, your, your circumstances. And his love and his power and his presence is sufficient for you. So if you're going through a tough time, I understand it. I'm sorry that you're going through a tough time, but Jesus is with you and he will walk with you through it. The second thing he offers is a partnership. This is one of my favorite themes. When we come to Christ, we, we don't become robots. Oh, now I will do everything right. That was my robot impression. No, he doesn't transform our brain so that we can't think. It doesn't make you re-like things. Your diet won't necessarily want to change. But what happens when we come to Christ and the Holy Spirit begins to reside in us is that God partners with us to accomplish his will in the world. Now, we don't, our common theology doesn't help us there. Some of you have heard me talk about this. Because when we do something right, We don't want the credit. We deflect. Oh, that was God. That was God in us. But when we do something wrong, oh, it's my bad. And so if if you walk that theology out, what you see is if you do anything good, it's God. If you do anything, it's bad. It's you. So you shouldn't do anything because God's the only thing that does good. God works through us, partners with us, and we do his work. We make his choices in this world. But you're the one who made that choice. You chose to reflect Christ's character in the world. God will partner with you to empower you to be his light in the world, but he doesn't make you a robot and say, take away your ability to think. He promises a partnership. He promises a plan. God's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you individually, and he's got a plan for you as a church, as a corporation, as all of us together. He has a plan for us. For 91, two years, his plan for this church has been a light in this community. 92 years from now, I pray we're still this light in this community. I won't be here. I'll be sitting on my porch. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm not sure I'll be able to make it anymore. God has a plan for us. Jesus promises his power. When he left the disciples, he said this, go to Jerusalem and stay there and you'll receive what the father has promised. And then it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in the world. God has not called you, given you a plan and called you for a purpose so that you do it alone. He partners with us. He empowers us and stays with us. Sometimes we miss this idea even in, with each other. We'll, like we collaborate on an idea and then somewhere, somewhere, we, somewhere along the lines we decide, okay, now it's my responsibility to make it all happen. Because God's called you, giving you a purpose and a plan, doesn't mean it's your responsibility to make it all happen. God empowers you to make it happen. Sometimes that means it goes slower. But if you'll allow God to lead you in his 
plan and in his time, his purpose will be assured. All right. What happens when I don't experience what I was promised? Great, Jason, you talk about this promises that Paul had. And it's wonderful. Everything goes well. Although Paul's life was tough. I didn't get what I deserve from God. Now, I doubt any of us would be willing to raise our hands and say we've said that, but there are times we've all felt that. What? What? In God, I, I'm a good guy. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a funeral. And um, a, a friend's mother passed away. The friend's father is a pastor. And so he, at his wife's funeral, gets up and he starts to talk, which I have tremendous amount of respect for. Uh, PJ did this as well uh, when he lost Bev. I'm not sure I'll have the strength to do that someday. But he got up and he talked about John chapter 11, where is, it's the story where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And he talked about how Mary and Martha lose their brother and they know Jesus and they love Jesus and they're close friends with Jesus and they call Jesus on the phone. You didn't know they had phones, but they did. But only iPhones. No Androids. <laughs> they, they send word to Jesus, come quickly, Lazarus is sick. And they've watched God heal. They've watched Jesus heal people over and over and over. They've seen people. They've heard the story that even if other people just touch Jesus, they get healed. And Jesus doesn't know these people. They probably, like, in, in personal relationship, these are not, not his close friends and he's healing them. And then his close friend is sick. And when he hears that he's sick, they expect Jesus to come running. And Jesus does nothing. And days go by, and Lazarus dies, and Jesus eventually goes. And you read in that, that chapter where the sisters have this idea, if you had only come sooner. And as I sat in that funeral, I listened to Pastor Chicola talk, about, and he said, you know, I've seen God do things for people I didn't know. But I'm one of God's good friends. I'm a pastor. I've devoted my life to this stuff. God, how could you heal somebody and not answer my prayer? If you're here this morning and you feel like God hasn't answered your prayer, I hear you. But there's hope. Close with this note from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 2, it says, we th- Paul's writing to this church. It's probably his first letter that he's written to any churches. He says, we always thank God for you, for all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. In verse 3, it says, we remember you uh, before God. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Your labor labor prompted by love 
and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. Your endurance inspired by hope. For the, Thessalonians, for the people of Thessalonica, their hope was oriented on the return of Jesus Christ. It was not a blind hope. It wasn't an irrational hope. It wasn't an against all odds hope. It wasn't even the hope of a pretty good chance. I really want to make a Patriots joke right here, but I'm going to not do it. Rather, it was a steadying virtue, their hope. It was, it was the idea that one learns to look through the sufferings and troubles and relational challenges of life. Through the prospect of the final joy and ultimate victory of Jesus. Where the kingdom of God wins and where everything is ultimately redeemed. Where death is defeated and the dragon is doomed. And peace and justice and love and wisdom flourish across the world forever and ever. It's the idea that C.S. Lewis would write about when he said, it's the life where, it's this experience where in every chapter is better than the one before it. And Paul writes to him and says, your your hope is inspiring to me because in spite of the difficulties, you continue to do it. I don't know why not every prayer we pray gets answered. Other than the fact that we live in a broken world. I know some of you have spent years praying for that family member to come to know Christ and it hasn't happened. I know you've spent years praying for healing of this thing and it hasn't happened. You've spent years praying for deliverance from this bondage and it hasn't happened. What do you do when you don't experience the, when you don't see the promise of God? You hope. Because his victory is assured. And when you share in his sufferings, you share in his victory. And so you may not experience all of the answers to the promises you think you've gotten in this life, but we have a hope. There'll be tough times. (laughs) It's a promise. But in the midst of all of it, he promises his presence. You'll never be alone. There'll be times where you'll be, you'll be sad. But that's not an abandonment of God's promise in your life. It's a time where his presence is revealed. We don't notice God's presence when everything is good, but we rely on it when it's bad. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you that your promises are yes and amen in Christ. But I admit that there are times where it's hard to see you're at work. Help us to hold fast to the hope that is in Jesus, especially in times where we don't see the fulfillment of your promises right away. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with communion today. We do this at the end of each week. It's an open communion. We invite you to participate if you'd like. And what we... 
What we do is we invite you to stand and come forward and receive the elements from one of the elders and then go back to your seat. But if you're here this morning and you're not, you're not sure about communion or you're, not, you're uncomfortable, you don't have to participate. There's no judgment. And if you're here this morning and walking to the front is difficult, we'll find somebody to bring you the elements. But elders, would you guys come? And, and I invite you to stand. And as Nathan's playing the guitar, we, we, could, we could come forward and receive the elements this morning. teaches us in 1 Corinthians that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he passed it among them and he told them that this was his body that was broken for them. And that each year when they would come to this meal, they should remember him in it. The body of Jesus was broken, Scripture teaches us, for our healing. It's one of the reasons we can have hope. Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that you would release healing in our body this morning. God, for people who are here for physical healing, even as they take communion, I pray that there would be healing released. God, for relationships, that there would be a a kindling, something that would restore, that you would do the work that we no longer think is possible. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the bread with me? goes on to say in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood whenever you drink it remember me ultimately we have hope of eternity because of the blood of Jesus Christ we're going to pray one more time Jesus thank you for your promises and thank you for being the fulfillment of all of God's promises Help us to cling to your promises 
and to cling to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the drink? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Lord, help us to remember your promises this week and help us to see. Lord, I pray that we'd see manifestations of your promises happen. But in the areas we don't, we would be stayed by your hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.